thanks for the introduction and the prayer. And thanks for having me here today. It's a real treat. Um, especially, as was just mentioned, that I was like some 24 years ago, you know, sitting in chapel at Montana Bible College, a student just like you. So it's an honor for me to come back. And I was asked to share uh, life lessons that I've learned since that time. And I feel kind of like the kid maybe who was sent off to his room to do his homework and his mom comes back and checks on his work and like it's blank, the page is blank. I don't know if I've learned anything so far, you know, what do I, what do I talk about? Um, and it's true, I don't know that I really have learned anything. I guess I'm learning things. Maybe I'll share some of those things that God is in the process of still teaching me. Um, but before I begin, just real quickly, um, I always like to get to know the folks I'm talking to a little bit, just kind of know the composition of the group. So let me just, I'm going to call on a couple of you, just uh, put you on the spot. But before I do that, just kind of show a hands. like how many of you are first year students at Montana Bible? Are you serious? Wow, we, that's a lot. What are the rest of you? Wow. How many of you, how many of you are like last year students? I don't know, seniors? All right, one, two, some, yeah, last year, I say last year because sometimes I know some of you are seniors for a long time, so last year, like, this is it, you mean business, how many of you, this is last year, okay, maybe a half a dozen, roughly, cool, how many of you are, and I asked this last year, are um, kind of foot in both worlds, attending uh, MSU as well as here, do we have any of those, none of those, okay, um, let's see, let me, I want to ask you specifically, just some of you, like, why you're here. Why are you uh, attending Montana Bible College? Do you mind if I put you on the spot for that? Is that okay? Okay, so why, why are you here? Yeah. I, my younger sister is, it's her first year here, and I'm just visiting with her. Excellent. Put, some, put the wrong person on the spot. Thank you. Awesome. Well, welcome. Well, why, why is the first year sister here? Can I ask that? It's <laughs> um, part of my probation officer's work. <laughs> yeah, no. no, um, I'm here to, to get a better grace of what God has in store for me. I'm just getting to know him awesome. and just seeing what he has. Awesome. That's awesome. Okay, how about over here? Do you mind if I put you on the spot? Are you, are you a student here? Okay, I should have asked that. <laughs> I'm a quick learner, aren't I? Lessons I've learned speaking at Montana Bible College. Okay. Okay, learn and grow in your faith. Awesome. How about down here on the end? Yeah. Um, I was here to grow my relationship with the Lord and just kind of, I don't know, looking for people who are having fun with you. Excellent. Yeah, awesome. Very good. Let me ask you this. How many of you are at least thinking about maybe pursuing full-time ministry? And when I say that, vocational ministry, okay? So quite a few of you, like maybe three-quarters of you. So a pastor, a missionary, working as a parachurch, you know, at a parachurch organization, something like that. Okay, great. Well, what I want to do is, I went for a walk yesterday thinking about that question. What are my, my life lessons that I've learned since I was a Montana Bible College student? Um, and there, there are probably a bunch that I'm learning, like I said, but I'm just going to mention four. We, have to, we need to be out by noon. Five, two? Okay, perfect. 
So I, ha I have four. We'll stop before we'll stop if we don't get through all four. But I'm gonna I'm a visual person, and people remember pictures more than they remember words. And so I'm gonna give you kind of four pictures or symbols. The first is a broken violin string. Okay. The second one is a chain link. Um, the third is Samwise Gamgee from Lord of the Rings. And then the last one is just a cup of coffee, okay? So four images, and each one of these kind of represents a life lesson for me since um, I was at Montana Bible College when it comes to just ministry, the role of certain things in ministry and how I've maybe changed the way I think about life and ministry um, since that time. So the first one, the violin string, what that represents, the broken violin string, what that represents to me is the role of suffering in life and ministry, the role of suffering in just growth and your own and other people's. And what I mean by that is I think 20-some years ago when I thought about how you grow as a Christian, I primarily thought about it as reading books, which is awesome, and I love to read books. I still love to read books, probably too much. Um, love books. But my view of Christian growth was pretty much um, what I would call the dissemination of information, okay? I would just take on knowledge, and if you asked me to disciple you, I'd probably give you a book, and I would read it together with you. And that's awesome. That's, a, that's certainly a way that we disciple people. That's the way that we grow. But the fact is, um, we're not just computers. That's not how God made us, just that you receive data and once you get that data, you're transformed, and the people around you, if you give them the data, they're transformed. Um, and I'm, please, uh, I, I'm being, I want to be careful here. Please don't hear me as saying the gospel's not powerful or anything like that. Not, not saying that. I'm just talking about how we actually change. Um, I think about in my own life experience, uh, that's how it's worked for me. And I think it's how it's worked for God's people throughout history. You know, in Deuteronomy 8, uh, Moses says, you know, he humbled you. He's talking to Israel. He says, he didn't just give you information. He humbled you, causing you to hunger. And then he fed you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So in other words, God didn't just say that. Hey, don't, don't just uh, live on bread. Um, live by my words. He actually, they had to suffer. Uh, they had to go hungry, and it was through that process that they kind of started being transformed. Or even think about in Hebrews 5.8, it says, Jesus himself learned obedience through what? Do you know? Through suffering, okay? Jesus himself. Or you, you're familiar with James 1 as well. Consider it pure joy when what? Yeah, when you face trials. Why? Why? Because it, it produces ultimately like, character and faith and matures us, right? Isn't that what James says? And so when I think about uh, the, the way God has um, grown me in my life, it's, um, it's been through like emotional suffering. Uh, when I was here last time, I talked about just my own testimony and kind of abuse and neglect in my childhood. And like, I, I still like suffer from that. I still have to deal with that. Or even just struggles with my own sin um, that's an ongoing kind of form of suffering or just physical ailments. Um, for whatever reason, God has seen it fit to, to really bring about physical suffering in my life over the course of the last 20 years. Um, 
When I was in high school, I was diagnosed with colitis, which is uh, it's an intestinal disorder with your large intestine, where it's like inflamed all the time. And it's that, that disease alone has had me so sick that there were nights where I would just sleep on the bathroom floor because I was just that sick. And I have it to this day, and I still have to take medication for it that, that makes me sick, that makes me nauseous. But it's not just colitis I've had. I've had blown uh, herniated discs. I've been on the floor for two weeks where I couldn't walk. I've had back surgeries. I've had degenerative um, disc disease in my neck where I can hardly turn my neck sometimes even to look at someone and talk to them. I can't ride a bike sometimes because I can't look up when I'm riding. Um, and just recently, I've had a degenerative joint disease in my jaw where the jaw was just kind of breaking away and I had to wear a splint, a mouthpiece, like for two solid years. I had to eat with it, had to talk with it, and food got under it. It was just, it was horrible. And after that, um, my whole jaw has shifted so my teeth don't touch right anymore. And they want me to have a surgery where they cut away sections of my jaw and staple them together and give me braces. And I don't, I don't want to do any of that. <laughs> but even like eating a steak to this day, I can't really do it because my teeth don't match anymore. And so that is suffering. That's a true Montanan. Yeah. And so I just look at my experience through all of that. God, though, he's teaching me that he's reminding me, Jeff, um, you're not, um, you're mortal. And you're dependent on me. And it's humbled me. And it's made me cry out for him and show me that I need him and that he doesn't need me. And through those experiences of suffering, it's made me dependent on other people. And, and by God's grace, I hope, I hope, more dependent on him. And so that's just in my own life. But I have also seen it in my ministry to others, how that suffering uh, produces fruit and it helps other people to, to change. Um, you're all familiar with Johnny Erickson Tata. Um, she tells the story of this great violin, violinist. Um, I, I'm, I'm not a classical musician follower, so I, I've never heard of him, but his name is Yitzhak Perlman. Anybody heard of him? Some of you? Um, and he had polio as a child, and she tells about this one evening in New York when he was performing. Everybody's there, and he walks out with both braces on his legs, and he sits down in the chair to perform, and as he's kind of warming up for the concert, um, a string on his violin breaks, okay? And everybody's going, uh-oh, what's, what's he going to do? Because he's just kind of warming up. And I guess it was when he was just starting the piece is what happened, and it broke. And does he stop? Does he put on a new string? What does he do? And everybody kind of watched and wondered, what's he going to do? And he closes his eyes, and after a moment of reflection, he starts going again, and he signals to the conductor. And, and you know, like if any of you are musicians, I mean, I played the guitar a little bit, you, you just can't, you can't play the song if you're missing a string. But instead, what he did is he just started using other strings to kind of coax out notes um, that he hadn't planned on using. In fact, notes that were never heard of before for this piece. And here's what, and after he was done, I mean, it was beautiful, and everybody in the audience sat there and they were mesmerized. And Mr. Perlman, after he was done, he says this, you know, sometimes it is the artist's task to find out how much music you can still make with what you have left. And Johnny Erickson Tata follows up on that and says, that is a truth that enables me to keep going 
Whatever strings are broken in our lives, we can still play beautiful music with what we have left. And this is what I want you to hear. In fact, it will be music that no one else can play in the same way. And so when you think about ministry and you think about growth and how God's going to use you, this is something that is vital to ministry. How does God carry out his mission in the world? It's primarily through suffering. If you read the Bible, when God carries out his mission, it's carried out through people's lives and their suffering, whether it's the story of Joseph, whether it's the Apostle Paul, whether it's Jesus himself. God's mission is advanced through your suffering. It's no different for you. And so I think that's key because I think a lot of times we leave a place like this, Montana Bible College, and you're equipped and you have your strengths, whatever they may be. Um, and God's going to use those. That's why they're called gifts. But I think it's important to recognize it won't primarily necessarily be your speaking ability, your organizational ability, your charm with people, your intuition with people. A lot of it is going to be through your suffering. Okay? God's going to really use that. So broken violin string, the role of suffering in growth in your own life as well as in your ministry. That's the first picture. Uh, the second picture is a picture of a chain link. Okay? And here I want to talk about the role of just influence in ministry, just the role of you being a person of influence in ministry. Okay, so I was here. I took um, Pastor Brian Hughes's evangelism class, okay? I took um, Pastor Monty Casebolt's um, evangelism class. And I remember being all fired up after those and going out to eat with my friends and arguing about the age of the earth and, you know, using my little stats that I got from uh, Pastor Casebolt's uh, class, and I, I would argue with people, and I could win. And you know what? They pretty much never came to know Jesus through my arguments. And that, in fact, that's a that's like a theme in my life. Okay, I remember I became a youth pastor in Billings, and we went on this inner city mission trip to Chicago, and we were doing, yeah, th these were just really broken homes, broken families. And this one mom came to pick up her kid, and I got talking with her, and we sat down. I still remember against this school building, and I just started sharing the gospel with her, and she was so interested. And she wanted to know how to become a Christian. And I said, you just wait right here. I'm going to go get my Bible. And I go get my Bible, and I come back. And you know what? There was a person from my team there who had sat down with her and led her to Jesus. And I was mad about it. Do you know why? Because that now I never get to be that person, it seems like, or at least very often. I, I want to be that person who closes the deal. And I, in my own neighborhood, even I find out as I try to love people and reach out to them, it just rarely happens where people are like, oh, yeah, I'd love to go to your church. or I'd love to receive Jesus. Um, in fact, my, there's, we got these new neighbors a year ago, and we're kind of getting to know them, and they just seems like aren't that interested in Christianity. And my little daughter, okay, so I have three kids. My youngest is eight years old, and she's out back playing with my neighbor's twins who are in kindergarten. And she starts telling them about God, and she goes and gets her little story Bible. She opens it up, and she says, now you know that you're going to hell if you don't receive Jesus. And there are angels around, and Satan's after you too. And she's just like, let them have it. And I was listening. I'm like, oh, that's not how you do it. But you know what? They started coming to church. 
And there again, like even my little eight-year-old daughter has these gifts that I do not possess, you know. And so, in, and I want you to think about this, because in, in Matthew 4.19, Jesus says, Come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men, right? Fishers of people. And I'm a Montanan, I'm a fly fisherman, and so when I think about being a fisher of men, I think about me standing in the Boulder River um, in Big Timber, where I just was on Monday, just catching browns, catching rainbows, and you got to know what you're doing. I mean, this is a technical sport, and if you're going to catch fish, um, I kind of like to do it a lot of times by myself, and you just have a great time catching fish, but you have to really know what you're doing, but it's kind of this lone sport. But when Jesus talks about being fishers of men, he wasn't thinking about Montana, a river runs through it, fly fishing. I mean, how were they fishing? They were fishing with nets. And people together on the side of a boat would hold the nets. It wasn't just a one-person job. And so evangelism, ministry, in that metaphor, in Jesus' mind, isn't a one-man or woman show. It's something that we do together. And that's huge for me. That's been huge for me because as I've seen people come to know Jesus, come to the faith, be saved, it usually doesn't look like that incident um, in inner city Chicago with that woman. It usually looks like someone is in a relationship with a person who doesn't know Jesus and they befriend them and then maybe they invite them to church and then they experience the community. Maybe they hear a sermon, and maybe they get in a growth group. And there are a number of people who have different influences in their lives. And then, all of a sudden, like the gospel breaks through, and they become a Christian. Okay? And so I think of ministry, I think of even evangelism, as like a chain with a series of links in it. And I think a lot of times we only think of that last, that last link in the chain where that seals the deal, that brings people to Jesus as what ministry is about, but it's not. It's a community event, and you need to be okay with not being that last person in the chain. It's okay being the 33rd link in the chain, and maybe, maybe never personally leading someone to Jesus. I pray about that. I want that. It happens sometimes in spite of me, just even when I'm preaching, but I'm okay with just being link number 33 and just being a person of influence in other people's lives, okay? So just, just the role of influence and its power in your ministry is, is vital, okay? So that's, that's the second picture is a, a link in a chain, okay? The third picture is Samwise Gamgee, Lord of the Rings. And when you think of, when you think of Sam, what do you think of? Loyalty. loyalty. Yeah, loyalty. He's a friend. If there ever were a friend... It's, it's Samwise Gamgee. He's not going to leave Mr. Frodo no matter what, right? He's just, he symbolizes friendship, right? That's what that story, Lord of the Rings, a lot of it at least is about, is about friendship, and he really embodies it. And so I want to emphasize, I think this is a lesson that I'm learning, is the role of just friendship and even transparency in ministry. Um, because the fact is, if, if some of you are thinking of going into ministry, being a pastor or a missionary, what you're going to find is that people treat you differently, okay? And let me just give you some examples of that. So, for example, I go to get a haircut here in town, and the woman who's cutting my hair is cussing up a storm, right? Like a sailor, just cussing about everything. 
And then she, finally she asks me what I do. And I say, well, I'm a, I'm a pastor. And then all of a sudden everything changes and oh, what a blessing and it's a blessed day and, and they just totally change around you. People, people pretend, okay, because you're in ministry. And it's hard to have friendships when people act differently around you, when they're afraid to act like they really are around you. But not only that, I find that in ministry, um, a lot of relationships are very one way. And so we do a ton of hospitality. That's one of the things my wife and I enjoy doing. We have people over in our home for dinners at least twice a week. And when people come over, we, we try to you know, get to know them. We ask questions. And almost, I don't know if I would put a percentage on it, 75, 90% of the time, after spending three to four hours with like a family, they'll leave and my wife and I will look at each other and do you know what we'll say? We'll say, they didn't ask us one single question. You know, not, not one. They didn't ask us anything about ourselves. And why do you think that is in ministry? It's because people sometimes view you like you're a doctor, okay? So when you're sick and you go into the doctor's office, do you ask him how he's doing? Do you ask him how he's feeling or about his background? You usually don't because he's, he, you're there to see him to get fixed, okay? And when you're in ministry, a lot of times people see you that way, kind of like this doctor-patient relationship. And so the relationships, unfortunately, are a lot of times just one way. But not only that, people will put you on a, on a pedestal, okay? And they'll like to think uh, a certain way about you. They have high expectations of you. They think that you're super godly and you don't struggle with sin and that you can't relate to them. And I think it's really important that we, in ministry, break those expectations, and we're transparent, and we're real in our, in our ministries. Okay, so um, recently I was watching an old clip of an interview, and the interview was being conducted by Justin Taylor, who I think is senior editor for Crossway Books, and he was interviewing John Piper and John MacArthur, okay? Two giants, right, in the, in the faith. And he was asking them a number of great questions, and uh, these are both heroes of mine. But there was one spot where Justin Taylor asked both of them, what do you do in your ministry when you get discouraged? Okay? And John MacArthur said, and, and, um, and he's just kind of wired differently than some people, but he said, I don't get discouraged. He said, I don't have time to be discouraged. If I even think about getting discouraged, I just go write another sermon. If I write a bad sermon and I'm discouraged about it, I don't get discouraged. I just go write my next sermon. And uh, John Piper then took the mic and he said, well, I just want to assure you that not everybody is wired like that. And he said, I have plenty of time to be discouraged. And he said there are times where he just sits and cries and he doesn't even know why. And he has tons of doubts. And sometimes he struggles with leaving the ministry. In fact, he struggles with that a lot. Okay, so I know kind of greater context of both men, and I can respect them both. But there was something about that interview that like, draws me to John Piper in that moment because of his vulnerability. I can, I can relate to him. He's not this guy who says, I, I don't struggle. And I know MacArthur struggles with other things. Please don't hear me the wrong way. But I think that's true in your own lives, with your own ministries, if you can kind of speak like that and say, here's where I struggle, people are going to be drawn to you. 
Um, and so even in my own ministry, I try, whether I'm preaching, whether I'm in a growth group, whether I'm one-on-one -on -one with people, counseling, I try to be real about who I am. Okay? They might want to put me on a, some holy pedestal that's not really me, and I try to shatter that and say, this is who I am. This is what I struggle with. I wish it weren't this way, but if you don't want a pastor like that, you need to go somewhere else because this is who I am. And I'm not going to be ashamed of that or try to hide. Okay? Um, and I think the other part of that, not just breaking expectations, but also pursuing friendships, that's really important in ministry pursuing friendships, um, where you're not always the doctor trying to fix people. You need people in your life. Think about Jesus. Even Jesus pursued this model of ministry, didn't he? In John 15, 15, what does he say to his disciples? He doesn't just call them servants. He calls them what? Friends. 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 Or listen to this in 1 Thessalonians 2, 8. This is the apostle Paul. Uh, this Oh, I wish I could embody this model of ministry. He says this, We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. We didn't just share with you the gospel. We share our lives because you're dear to us. So I think it's important that you pursue relationships where you're just not teaching people, where you're not just discipling people, like, here's a book, and let me teach you. But you do go fishing together, and you do just hang out together. And you need them just as much as they need you. I think that's vital to your ministry. So the last image, just real quickly, that I want to talk about is just a cup of coffee. Okay, a cup of coffee. And what the coffee signifies to me is just the role of the mundane, ordinary aspect of ministry. Okay? A lot of times when we think of ministry and we think about where you all are going to go from here, you know, 20 years from now, will Montana Bible College have a reunion and you all come back and report on what you're doing? I think for a lot of people who are heading into ministry, they think about trying to make a big splash and they talk about setting the world on fire for Jesus and that kind of thing. But the fact is most of us won't do that, okay? Most of you um, aren't going to write books that everybody's going to read. You're not going to be uh, on the conference speaker circuit. You're not going to be celebrity megachurch pastors. You're not going to be missionaries that go down in history like Jim Elliott. You're just, you're not. That's just a harsh reality of life, right? hundred years from now, who's going to know us? Probably nobody, right? Um, you won't make a big name for yourself. And that, the fact is most of life doesn't consist in these these, these making a big splash for yourself moments. It's life and ministry consists of just really mundane things. When you think about your life, it consists of turning off the alarm clock, um, opening and shutting the refrigerator, tying your shoes, taking a shower, um, loving the people that God's put in your life, um, having a cup of coffee with them. How, how mundane, how ordinary is that? And yet God celebrates that, and that's what he really uses, I think, a lot more than the big splash. Okay? I mean, what does he say in, in 1 Thessalonians 4, 11? The Apostle Paul says, Make it your ambition to live a quiet life, to mind your own business, and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life, this is daily, mundane, ordinary life, may win the respect of outsiders, and so that you won't be dependent on anybody. Or in 1 Corinthians 15, 
The Apostle Paul says, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. And don't think big splash work. Just think mundane having a cup of coffee with a friend work. And he says, and you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And he says that after his greatest chapter on the resurrection, which means the resurrection empowers, embodies all that you do, even the ordinary uh, mundane, especially the ordinary mundane aspects of your ministry. And so listen to what Amy Carmichael says, you know, missionary to India in the 1800s. She says, faithfulness in a little thing is a big thing. Or Robert Murray McChaney, another a Scottish pastor from the 1800s, says the most important thing that you can do for your people is to just live a holy life, to just follow Jesus, follow God. Um, that's the most important thing, he says. Or last, G.K. Chesterton, English writer from the mid-18, or the latter 1800s to the early 1900s, he says the most extraordinary thing in the world, what's the most extraordinary thing in the world? He says, is an ordinary man and an ordinary woman and their ordinary children. Why? Because, because there's coming a day and a time where that's going to stand out, okay? Culture's changing. A lot of people um, get married and have kids and just are faithful to that today. But that's not always going to be the case. We're seeing that change right now before our very eyes. And that's going to be and is um, an extraordinary thing. And God is tremendously glorified in it. And God will use that. And so there are kind of four pictures of maybe some life lessons that I'm learning. Are there any just comments or questions before I close this in prayer? Thoughts? Okay, very good. Well, let, let me close this. Gracious Father, you're so good to us that we get to call you our Father, that you've adopted us into your family, and that you lavishly love us and accept us and approve us because of the work of your Son, Jesus. I pray for this group of Montana Bible College students. I'm so thankful uh, that they're here for a variety of reasons. And some will go on to vocational, full-time ministry. Others will do ministry um, just as, as, as they go along, as lay people. And I pray that you would bless the work of their hands. I pray that they would have an accurate and biblical view of ministry and how people change and how you can use them in other people's lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.